1: Welcome back to the mixtape. Can you hear Tori dancing? Yeah, it's mixtape tape, soon. <laughs> I was like, Tori, are you are you there or what's going on? Yeah.
0: I'm she just was just dancing. dancing.
1: I'm just dancing. Yeah. She was kind of doing the robot. It's I'm ideal it. for podcasting. Exactly. It was like 30 seconds of silence. So perfect. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so today we're doing the death of Ellen Greenberg, and this case is absolutely fucking frustrating, like 100,000 billion percent. Madison researched it and wrote it out, so thank you so much, girl. We appreciate it. And, um, you know, let's just get into it. Yeah, I think we should. Ellen Greenberg was 27 years old when her live-in fiance left her in their apartment to go to the complex's gym. Like so the apartment complex had a gym on the ground floor I think and they're on like the 6th floor maybe. He came back less than an hour later. It was like 30 to 40 minutes that he was gone and I'm thinking like either you didn't work out or did you do like a Jillian Michaels 20 minute shred or whatever? Like who? <laughs> right. It's a hit. Yeah, exactly. High intensity interval training. Yeah. After breaking down the door, he found Ellen sitting on the kitchen floor, bloody and dead from multiple stab wounds, a kitchen knife still lodged in her chest. The investigation led to two possible conclusions. Did Ellen kill herself or was she murdered? Who would stab themselves multiple times to kill themselves? Dude. You, like you don't even, I can't, I, I, there's no words, just it's insane. Um, but first we have to go back. Also, I probably should have said like trigger warning because you know suicide and stuff like that. But um there's you know better that. late than never. <laughs> I guess, right. Um Ellen Ray Greenberg was born on June 23rd, 1983, to Sandy and Joshua Greenberg in New York City, New York State, 10108. <laughs> Her parents and friends described her as vivacious, loving, warm, social. She liked cooking. She liked fashion. Her father called their only child a daddy's girl, recalling that they often went to sports games together when she was growing up. Ellen graduated from Penn State University in Pennsylvania, and everybody knew that she loved children, and pretty much nobody was surprised when she became a teacher. So she ended up being a first grade teacher at Juniata Park Academy in Manayunk, Pennsylvania. I don't know. She met her fiance, Sam Goldberg, through a mutual friend and they were set up on a blind date. And according to friends and family, she raved about him, claiming that they never had like this awkward dating stage. It was, all, it was just like they went into being this amazing couple. It was like they knew each other forever kind of thing. Her mom described Sam as charming and she's, you know, she was like, it's just great when your child is happy. After they were dating for three years, Sam proposed to her at the end of a trip to California. She said yes and they started planning their wedding. Starting in late December, early January of 2011, which is about a month before Ellen's death. Her parents and friends started to notice that she wasn't the same Ellen. She had become increasingly anxious, which was unlike her. And whenever they asked her about it, she would just say, you know, work is really difficult. I'm stressed out about getting my grades in on time. I'm planning a wedding, like, you know, all these things. And she would just kind of mostly put it off on work, that it was like work stuff that was bothering her. But she even got to the point where she told her parents that she was considering quitting her job and moving back home with them. That's it. And she's engaged. Yeah, that's serious. I mean, that's it's got to be a ton of anxiety for her to even say that. Yeah, and you would think, I don't know. I mean, we'll get into it more. But like, if you're engaged and you live with your fiance and this is a person that you're getting ready to marry and I'm assuming you're going to continue to live with them after that. If you're saying... I think I want to come back home. What does that say about your relationship? Yeah, I mean, how is that supposed to feel for your fiancé? Yeah, and she didn't say that there were issues in the relationship, but I don't know. To me, that just seems like there are. Mm -hmm. And maybe she's just not telling anybody. Her anxiety was getting worse. It started to take a toll on her. She was losing sleep and her dad was like, look, I think we need to get you in for some professional help. Like this is a real problem. It's interfering with your life. So she met with a psychiatrist three times and they prescribed her clonopin and Ambien. And clonopin is a long acting benzodiazepine. It helps the user relax and treats the effects of panic attacks. She was prescribed that to treat her anxiety, and Ambien is given to help you sleep. After a short time of taking these as prescribed, Ellen expressed to her loved ones that she felt like they were working and she was feeling a lot better. And notes from her psychiatrist were later reviewed and revealed that they were not concerned about Ellen being a suicide risk and that she was excited about her engagement and upcoming wedding. So the psychiatrist met with her, I think the last time Ellen met with the psychiatrist was a week before her death. And that note said, you know, everything was going really good. She was not, she did not appear to be suicidal, anything like that. So then the day of her death was January 26, 2011. Ellen left work early that day due to a big snowstorm. Her fiance, Sam, stated that he left the apartment to go to the gym inside their complex at 4:45 p.m. When he came back to the door at about 5:30 p.m. he used his key but he was unable to get in due to the hotel room style latch that was locked on the inside. So their apartment complex they had actual key cards to get in. It's it's like a hotel door. But then you know at the top you have that like the sliding I know what you're talking about. Latch thing, yeah. So it opens it a little bit, but not really. Yeah, not all the way. Mm -hmm. So he said he puts his key card in and he goes to turn it and he goes to open it and it's stopped by that latch thing at the top. So he's like, come on, Ellen, what's going on? So he starts banging on the door, but she doesn't come to it. And it's not a huge apartment. Like if he's banging on the door, she's going to hear it. So then he starts sending her text messages. And the first one is, hello, And then he says, open the door. And he says, what are you doing? I'm getting pissed. Hello? You better have an excuse. What the fuck? Ah, you have no idea. And these texts are sent over the course of an hour, maybe, over the course of 45 minutes. It's It's not like he's like, hello, open the door. Hey, what are you doing? Hey, I'm getting pissed. Hello, what's going on? And it also seems really aggressive. You better have an excuse. You have no idea. Yeah, what is you have no idea? To I took that as you have no idea what's about to happen to you if you don't open the store. Yeah, exactly. I don't know, that's And maybe I'm just cynical and have been in too many bad relationships. But for him to be like, you better have an excuse, I'm getting pissed. I don't know, just the way he said it. Now, look, My husband has locked. We only have one way into our house right now because of who we are as people and I won't change the batteries on our like keypad things. But (laughs) yeah, we. so I don't have an actual key to my house. Like I don't have a key to it. So if he locks the garage door, like the door from the garage into the house, I'm fucked. I can't get in the house. That's the only way I can get in. So he will do that sometimes because our two-year-old has gotten really bad about just opening that door and like wandering around outside, like he just does. So instead of using this little thing that I got for the door that he can put so high that Jesse can't reach it and it keeps the door shut, he locks it. And then I can't get back in the house if I'm, and now you're SOL. Yeah. Yeah. And so then I'm pissed because I'm like, hello, hello. So if he's like upstairs putting the boys to bed or something when I get home or whatever, like this doesn't happen often, but you know, it has happened. So then I can't get in the house and I'm like, Andrew, what the fuck? Like, open the door. Why are you not opening the door? Like, what are you doing? Like, you know, whatever. I'm calling him. I'm calling him. Like, hello, open the door. I mean, I definitely get frustrated, but I'm not like, you better have an ex... I don't know. It's like, yeah, you're frustrated, but you would also think that the apartment is small. Because like here, if I'm knocking on the door, Andrew might not hear it. Or if he's knocking on the door, I might not hear it, you know, depending on where we are in the house. Mm. Ellen would have had to have heard him at the door you one would think that he would be concerned for her well-being maybe. Like, hey, is everything okay? Are you okay? Like, what's going on? But he's just like, I don't know. It just seems really aggressive to me. That's all. At this point, Sam goes back downstairs to find the security guard to ask him if he can help him break into the apartment. And so he said he came back downstairs to ask him this several times. But the security guard was like, I'm not breaking into that door for you because you can hold me liable. So Sam is finally like, okay, well, I'm going to bust in the door myself. Like, I don't know how else to get in. Sam says the security guard wouldn't help him, but he went upstairs with him and watched him open the door. But the security guard says, no, I didn't. I stayed down here. I never left my post. He also said that Sam told him several times that he was coming from the gym, but that he wasn't wearing sneakers, he was wearing Timberland boots. You do not work out in those. (laughs) No, you don't. Sam reported that he broke down the door and found Ellen sitting on the floor up against the cabinets, bleeding. Before calling 911, Sam called his parents and his uncle, who is an attorney, What the? Yeah. They arrived on scene just after EMS. So finally at six thirty three, which is an hour after he initially could not get inside, he calls nine one one. The nine one one call is described as Sam being calm, repeating, "Oh my god, oh my god, my fiance, there's blood," and that he had been at the gym. The dispatcher tells him that he needs to start CPR. Sam is then reported as saying, do I have to? A few minutes in, Sam notices there is a knife lodged in Ellen's chest. How How on earth do you not notice that? Yeah, how do you not notice that? And even if for whatever reason you didn't notice a knife protruding from your fiance's chest right when you look at her because she's facing you, It took you how long of starting CPR? I have a lot of feelings about this. Um, Sam then said to the dispatcher, she must have fallen on it. When EMS arrived, they pronounced Ellen dead on scene. Her parents were called by Sam's parents and Ellen's mother remembers that they were snowed in at their home in Harrisburg, PA. And she said, all I knew was my world went dark and I have no daughter. So when they found Ellen, she was, you know, like we said, sitting up, kind of leaning against the cabinets or whatever. She was wearing what looked like maybe UGG boots and I think sweatpants. She had a shirt or a sweatshirt on. She had a scrunchie on her, I believe, right wrist. And in her left hand, she's clutching a towel that's laying on the floor. That's a white towel. There's no blood on it at all. There's blood behind her smeared on the cabinets, but there is no blood almost anywhere else, especially on that white towel that she's holding. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. It's very strange, but I would think that you would see a knife sticking out. And it's a big knife. It's a big kitchen knife. So I don't know. So the police arrive on scene and they immediately are like, well, suicide. I don't understand. She killed herself. Okay, okay. The whole reason that they came to this conclusion was based off the fact that the door was locked from the inside. And there are pictures of, like, you know, what the inside of that door looks like, like the latch thing or whatever. And, but their whole thing was like, it was locked from the inside. Nobody, like, there was no other way to get in or out of the apartment. They did have a balcony, but because they'd had such a snowstorm, they like looked outside on the balcony and the snow was fresh and it had not like there were no footprints in it or anything like that so they were like nobody came in or out that door right right you would have had to have come in or out this door the the front the door to the apartment and sam said when he got here it was locked so it must have been locked so well if sam said it exactly and i'm like i'm sorry nobody said are you sure it was locked when you got here? There's no other witness to that. The only person who says that is Sam. And they just take him at his word. Like, so what if he... And he waited an hour to call 911? That's plenty of time to kill her. Mm-hmm. Like, even if he didn't... That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's, this doesn't make any sense to me. And this is not even... Tori, this is not even the beginning. Like, I can't even tell you how fucking pissed you're gonna be. So... Sam was reportedly cooperative. He spoke with police on scene. And key fob records from the apartment complex confirm his story about coming and going. He definitely, like the door was opened at a certain time and then it wasn't opened again until he swiped his key fob when he said he got back. But he says he couldn't get in because of the lock or whatever. So building camera footage, doesn't show Ellen's apartment hallway unfortunately. I mean I know I guess you can't have a camera everywhere but it's like if we could just see that hallway that would be like the end of the story but it does show the entrance and exits of the building and everybody seen on the video was a resident of the complex which again like they they were like well there was nobody there that was out of place but are we just going to go ahead and say it couldn't have been a resident? Right, it had to be a stranger that doesn't belong there. Yeah, exactly. Like, let's, um, everybody who murders somebody lives somewhere. Yeah. Like, even if it's under a bridge, like, you still live somewhere, technically. So it's like those signs that say, if you lived here, you'd already be home. <laughs> exactly. But it's like, yeah, just because they're a resident doesn't rule them out. Like, it's not like, well, it couldn't have been a resident. So that's done. You know, I don't know. Right. It's very strange. Exactly. I feel like they're, they're very like, close-minded with this investigation. Incredibly. There's, it's like one-track mind, yeah. hmm The autopsy was done the day after Ellen's death. They found a total of 19 stab wounds and one large cut. Ten of those wounds were to the back of her neck and head. The back. And ten were on her abdomen and chest. She also had multiple bruises found in her thighs, knees, hips, arms, and wrists that were in various stages of healing. The only drugs found in her system were the two prescribed medications that she had in very small amounts. Due to the significant degree of force required to make these injuries and the knife still being embedded in Ellen's chest, the medical examiner ruled Ellen's death as a homicide. Two days later, though, the police said they believed that the medical examiner rushed into their decision. They were like, you know, we think that was a rush to judgment. So they actually challenged that ruling. And they're saying that the medical examiner rushed to judgment when the medical examiner did a full autopsy. And literally, you walked in and you were like, oh, well, boyfriend says it was locked. It had to have been a suicide. Done deal. I'm not going to look at exactly. anything else. Like,
0: that's the pot not a calling rush the to the black.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it feels like they just don't want to do any work. They were just like, okay, done, suicide, Yeah, wraps it up, we're done here. Yeah, I don't feel like doing the paperwork today or whatever. It's snowed, I want to go home. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Like, what's the deal? Police continued their argument for suicide, stating that the only other entry point was that sliding glass door, but... Like we said, there's no footprints, and they lived on the sixth floor, like, unless it was Spider-Man, you know, like who, exactly? you can't get in or out. <laughs> so the police ended up going back to the medical examiner and being like, you don't know everything else. Like, the door was locked from the inside, and she was home alone, so it had to have been a suicide. So the medical examiner actually changed the cause of death from homicide to suicide which never happens. Why? Why? Why doesn't, why didn't they challenge that and be like, no, I know what I see in what world? Yeah, you're the medical examiner. Like, you know how those injuries, the injuries tell a story. Like, Mm -hmm. and the, the bruising all over her body is very strange too because they said that Ellen wasn't in like a sports league of any kind. You know, she wasn't like It's not like she played some kind of a contact sport and it would make sense for her to get bruises all over her body. Right. She's not like doing roller derby where she's got like these huge bruises. Yeah. And these were not, this wasn't like she had a bruise on her knee because she bumped into something. This was bruises all over her body. Mm -mm. I mean, where did those come from? Exactly. In various stages of healing. So this is not, didn't just happen that day. Exactly. Yeah. These are, some of these are older. In February of 2011, a neuropathologist reportedly examined Ellen's spinal cord and determined that the damage from the stab wounds to her neck was not severe enough to render her paralyzed and that it was possible that she could have continued stabbing herself. And Ellen's DNA was the only DNA found on the knife, which to me says. That that knife was cleaned up because if Sam lived in that house, you mean to tell me he never touched that knife? He never once unloaded the dishwasher. He never once cooked with it. I mean, it's possible that that's possible, but. Yeah, it just seems like it it seems to me it seems more strange that Ellen's DNA is the only one on that knife than pointing to she had to have committed suicide that nobody else touched it. Because if you live with somebody both of your DNA is going to get all over everything. Yeah, you're going to touch everything. There's semen everywhere. Yeah, there's semen everywhere. And like in the Amanda Knox case, you know, that knife that Meredith Kircher was murdered with, Amanda's DNA was on it. And uh, what was her boyfriend's name? Raphael, I think. Mm-hmm. Both both of their DNA was on that knife just because, and he, they'd only been dating for like five days because they, well, they could have been it. transfer, but- but yeah, but they'd both been around it, used it, whatever. Like, I think Sam's DNA should be on that knife, honestly. Mm-hmm. And I think it's weird that it's not. But what they did was they took like a portion of her spinal cord. So what they were saying was they they don't know the exact order of each stab wound, but they know that the one to the back of her neck that came very close to severing her spinal cord, if it didn't, would not have been the last one. So they were saying, if the if an independent neuropathologist reviews this piece of her spinal cord and says, yes, it was severed, then it will tell us that she had to have been murdered because she would have been paralyzed by that. And she would not have been able to continue stabbing herself because stabbing yourself 20 times is how you would commit suicide, I guess. Um, I can't. So they have... Yeah, so they had this neuropathologist review it, and she took a look at it and said, no, the sheath was damaged, but the column itself was not severed. Therefore, she could have theoretically continued stabbing herself. So it's, it's a suicide. But Ellen's parents were like, no, this was not a suicide. Like, absolutely not, was not a suicide and they launched their own investigation because the case was closed like once it's determined deemed a suicide they're not going to investigate it anymore there's no need for them to mhm they launched their own investigation and reached out to a veteran police detective uh his name is Tom Brennan and they contacted a pathologist who could help them interpret the crime scene findings so Brennan went all into this case and he was really angry because he was like, this investigation was completely inadequate. Like, this is not how you conduct an investigation at all whatsoever. And he thought it was staged to look like a suicide. He believed, and one of the things that the police said was another reason that it was a suicide and not a homicide, is because they were like, if it was a homicide, she would have defensive wounds and she didn't have any of those. And I'm like, okay, but she was also stabbed in the back. So, what if she was stabbed in the back first by somebody who she trusted to turn her back to? Exactly. Oh, well, I mean, or not, you know, if somebody ambushed her. And she wouldn't have time to turn around and defend herself. She would have been incapacitated and they would just keep stabbing. Mm-hmm. That, uh, no defensive wounds doesn't mean anything. It just means that either she was taken by surprise or, you know, whatever. She trusted who it was. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes people are sleeping when they're attacked or whatever, you know? Like there's lots of reasons for no defensive wounds. Exactly. Brennan thought that she was blitz attacked from behind and she couldn't defend herself. And obviously, that's why, you know, he's like, because it's, it just, it's so stupid. Like, of course, there's a, a logical explanation for why there's no defensive wounds found rather than saying this woman stabbed herself 20 times. Exactly. To commit suicide. Like, it just, such a stretch. In the back of the head, in the back of the, like, I just. Yeah. And they were like, you know, she. It would be really hard to stab yourself in the back of the neck and in the back of the head where she did it, but technically it could be done. Of course, it can be done. Technically, it can be done, but it doesn't. Ma- it doesn't fit. Mm-mm, it doesn't fit. It doesn't make any sense. Like, who in the world would do that? It just doesn't make any sense. I would think if you're going to stab yourself to commit suicide, you're going to do it like directly in the heart, or or like cut your own throat maybe or some I don't know I yeah I mean it's just there are more effective ways of accomplishing suicide I would think because this is brutal like this is a brutal attack who who Mm -hmm. would want to put themselves through that much pain and suffering like it's Mm -hmm. it just doesn't make any sense Guy D'Andrea, a former Philadelphia assistant district attorney, reviewed the case and it caught his eye due to the controversy. His initial concern was the lack of blood splatter at the scene. He was like, there was really not much blood at all on the floor or around Ellen, and he thought that it had been cleaned up. So he asked the detectives, "Did anybody perform luminol testing?" Because, you know, where is all the blood? Like, there was a little bit on the cabinet behind her, but for 20 stab wounds, you definitely think there would be a significant amount of blood. And they didn't. They didn't do any luminol testing. They didn't need to because it was a suicide, right? Right. The initial responding police left without securing the scene. They didn't gather any evidence. Again, you know, she had that white, clean kitchen towel in her left hand. There was a bowl of cut fruit on the counter and fruit in the sink. And she was sitting on the kitchen floor leaning against the cabinets. But Deandria and Brennan also noticed that there was a line of coagulated blood running horizontally from her nostril to the back of her ear. So what they're saying was that supports their theory of that the body being staged when it was found that way. Because if you're sitting up straight, your the blood running from your nostril is going to run down to your lip, right? It's not going to run of back gravity. to your ear. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So she had to have been laying for because that that line of blood had pretty much dried in that spot. So it wasn't like it had just happened. You know, it was like dripping at that time or anything. It was. It was there. So she had been laying flat long enough. And the other thing that I thought about was, didn't Sam say he started CPR? Mm-hmm. But he said he found her sitting up and she was still sitting up. So he laid her flat, started CPR, and then put her back, leaned her back up. Nobody asks him this question because you can't do CPR with her sitting up. Mm-mm. So he he didn't do CPR. Obviously not. No, I mean, he and if did, he did, he he sat her back up. He threw a fit about it, anyway. So maybe he didn't actually do it. Yeah, it just like obviously her body was moved, but nobody asks why it was moved. Nobody asks, you know. Well, they didn't. I don't know. Yeah, and if you did start CPR and you lay her flat, why would you then sit her back up? You you'd think you'd leave her flat so that you're not moving her and. Causing more injury and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. It's ridiculous. Five to six years after Ellen's death, DeAndrea found that that portion of Ellen's spinal cord that, you know, that independent neuropathologist had reviewed was actually still at the medical examiner's office. He lets Brennan know, Brennan gets permission for his examiner to review it. And he found that the knife did penetrate the cranial cavity and severed cranial nerves and the brain. This would have caused severe pain, nerve dysfunction, numbness, tingling, low or irregular heart rate, and respiratory depression. He also found evidence of strangulation. He said there were fingernail marks and multiple bruises around her neck that were consistent with manual strangulation. So Wayne Ross concluded that his findings were consistent with homicide. Forensic pathologist Cyrus Wecht noted that victims rarely stabbed themselves multiple times through their clothing, as Ellen did. And he's like a big-time forensic pathologist. Brennan and Ellen's parents contacted the neuropathologist who reportedly performed the initial examination on that spinal cord, because remember... The police were like, we're going to send this, you know, that part of the spinal cord because if it's not severed, then she could have continued stabbing herself and it's going to be a suicide. And that person reviewed that spinal cord and said, it's not severed. But then Ross reviewed it and said, actually, yeah, it is like a lot of things were penetrated and she wouldn't have been able to continue doing what she was doing, what you think she did. So they're like, they want to talk to this person. They want to get that report. They're like, why is it so drastically different? than our new report? Like how how do you look at the same evidence and get a completely different conclusion? Right. So they contact this person and there was no report found. The only evidence of this other neuropathologist reviewing, and I say evidence in quotes, reviewing the spinal cord and saying that it was not severed is a note that was added to the autopsy report. And it just says, separate examination of the spinal cord finds that it wasn't severed or something like that. It was just a note added to the autopsy. It was not, there's not a full report. So the pathologist is like, I don't remember this case at all. I don't remember reviewing a spinal cord. I don't remember this case. I don't remember being contacted about it. She looked back through her record. She's like, I don't have a bill for that examination, and I don't have a report for it. Basically, she doesn't have a file on this person, like nothing. And she's like, I don't work for free. If I'd done this, there would be a report and there would be a bill. Right. That is so crazy. This is so corrupt. It's not even funny. Yeah. So she says, she's like, could somebody have asked me to review it and none of this stuff probably not. I guess I won't completely rule it out, but I don't have a bill for it and I don't work for free basically. Mm -hmm. You do the math. So investigators end up zeroing in on Ellen's computer. So this is so annoying. In the initial autopsy report, I looked up the autopsy report. I read it. In 2011, the autopsy report says that, you know, she was found in this way and all these things. It lists each of the, the stab wounds and all that kind of stuff. The top of her scalp had a huge gash in it. It was like somebody took the knife and sliced the top of her scalp. I don't, I don't see why you do that to yourself. But it lists all those things. But it also says analysis of the victim's laptop provides no further information, so it says that they reviewed the laptop at that time. But now years later, because the family is trying to go through the channels, get go around the police department and go higher up. And they're contacting like the state attorney general's office and stuff. And they're trying to get the case reopened because they're like, my daughter was murdered. She was not, she did not commit suicide. She was murdered. Somebody murdered her and they're out on the streets right now. Like, we need justice. So they contact the attorney general's office and the attorney general agrees with the police's finding that it was a suicide. And they don't point to any of the physical evidence as their reasoning. Their reasoning is because of Ellen's computer. So what they say is that there were all these searches on her computer that said one of the searches was for painless suicide, one was for depression, one was for quick death. And DeAndrea is like, "I'm not saying that these that nobody did these searches, but what I'm saying is when I had that file for however many years, that was never in it. And I had the complete file. These searches were not anywhere in that file because I would have seen them. And Sam Goldberg had possession, his family had possession of her laptop until they reanalyzed it in 20, what 17. 2016, her family didn't have it. His family did. Mm-mm. And the searches were done at like two in the morning, most of them. And one of them was done at like four in the afternoon. And they didn't even go back and look at any of those days and be like, was she at work? Could she have done these, you know? Like, right? because again, just because they're on her computer doesn't mean he didn't do the searches. exactly. Or that somebody else couldn't have done them, you know? Like, you don't know who did the searches. You just know that she had access to that computer. That's all you know. And if she was searching for painless... Right. It's just super strange that his family even has her computer anyway. Like, why? Yeah, why would they keep it? Why would they not give it to her family or something? And they had her cell phone. Yeah, they had her cell phone. So it was like, yeah, the day after Ellen died, Sam's cousin and uncle, and I guess this is the same uncle that's an attorney, right, Mm -hmm. came to the apartment to get him a suit for the funeral. When they left, they took his computer, Ellen's personal and work laptops, and her cell phone. And they have maintained possession of that the whole time. Ellen's family has never been able to get the police records. They've never been able to get anything. Like, nothing. And... It just it just does not make sense that this would be a suicide. Like it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't make any sense at all. Because the Suicide Prevention Research Center says that um, in 2018, the most common means of suicide among females are firearm, poisoning, and suffocation. Even if Ellen was considering suicide, it's extremely unlikely that this is the way she would have carried it out. And in March of 2019, the state officially closed the investigation after they denied Ellen's family's request to reopen the case. And, you know, they were just saying that, like, those computer searches and everything else that they found in the file supports the finding of suicide. Of course, they couldn't use the physical evidence because physical evidence points to homicide. Like, that's literally the only thing that supports. You would think, yeah. Well, except that addendum to the autopsy that says, but even so, like, I'm like, okay, so even if her spinal cord hadn't been severed by that one and she technically could have continued stabbing herself, yeah, in what way does that say this is definitely a suicide? Mm -mm. Again, like, who in the world does that? Like, it just, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. In October of 2019, the Greenbergs filed a civil lawsuit against Philadelphia County Medical Examiner's Office and the medical examiner who conducted Ellen's autopsy and that medical examiner is no longer with Philadelphia County and they've like moved and won't talk about the case at all. Sam Goldberg is now married with two children living in New York. There is very little information on him. While many people think Sam is responsible for Ellen's death, since the death is currently ruled as a suicide, there's never been a formal investigation into him. Four days after Ellen's death, her friends and family received her save-the-date cards for her August wedding. Did the finality of his nearing wedding set in and cause Sam to kill Ellen and stage it as a suicide? Did Ellen actually kill herself? The Greenbergs are continuing their investigation and won't stop until they're able to change Ellen's manner of death to undetermined or homicide. It is 100% a homicide and Sam did it. I'm just going to say that. I'm going to put it out there. That's what happened. That's what I'm saying. Because like, I mean, so many things. But like, I just don't understand why they were just like, okay, so Sam says he got back at 530. So that's the truth. And like, You would think the detectives would grill him a little bit harder. I mean, how many times have we seen investigations where like a husband has been like, okay, you know, well, I came back and I found her this way. And they're like, or wives or whatever. And they're like, are you sure she wasn't dead before you left? Yeah, exactly. Like that's the point of your job. Yeah. Is to do an investigation and they literally did nothing. They're like, well, okay, whatever. Looks fine to me. And also the bruises on her that were in varying degrees of healing that to me says that Sam has put his hands on her multiple yes. times. Yeah, I think so. They don't have like a big dog that you know would jump up and down off of on them or you know wrist, anything though. Right. Yeah. There's nothing that my dogs rarely grab my wrists. Yeah. Well, they lack the strength in the opposable thumb. Exactly. But also the fact that okay, what is and I know it can happen, but what is the likelihood? That the moment he's like, "Okay, go into the gym." Somebody breaks in and stabs her to death, or she decides to take that opportunity to stab herself twenty times. She's like, "Well, he's at the gym. I'll do it now, yeah, it's too there are too many, like coincidences. And what have we learned through every case that we've covered? it there is no such thing as a coincidence in murder. Like yeah. it just doesn't happen. No, and she was in the middle of cutting up fruit. Like she was going to make a fruit salad or something. So is it like, oh, I'm going to cut up all this fruit. That gives me the idea. I've been meaning to stab myself 20 times. I should probably just do it now. Right. Like it it just doesn't make any sense. And he wasn't wearing gym attire. The only person that can confirm that the... Latch was even locked from the inside as Sam. They just, everything that Sam said, the police were like, okay, we believe you implicitly. Love it. Perfect. Which like never happens. Like they never just believe the significant other. Because they shouldn't. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And like, yeah, they just didn't ask any questions. And there are lots of pictures of their actual door like that shows the frame and everything or like shows the latch and all that. I don't know if the picture that they're showing is from before the incident, but if it's from after the incident, it wasn't that door is not broken down. No, there are no no marks, no splintered wood, no nothing. That thing is in tip top shape. Mm. And all you have to do is like Google, because the DeAndrea guy said it's super easy to open those latches yourself. You can lock them and unlock them from the outside, you know. Like, Mm -hmm. you can just do a YouTube search and find all kinds of different ways to do it. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't have to be, it doesn't have to be locked from the inside. You can be outside of it and still lock that. But again, I don't even think he needed to do that because all he had to do was say that, oh, I got home and the latch was locked. Mm -hmm. I I cannot believe the police went for that. This is the thing though. It's like shoddy police work and there is a killer out, out free just living his life. And Ellen, mm-hmm. her life was cut so short. She was an angel of a person, gorgeous at the beginning of her mm-hmm. life, like she had so much more life yeah. to live. I'm just it pisses me off. Yeah. And it doesn't it doesn't seem like there's a huge motive, you know, but again, like we've said this, we've talked about it so many times, there doesn't have to be a motive. It could literally be They got in an argument, or maybe because the fact that she told her parents she wanted to move home really, really, really screams to me, paired with those bruises that she was suffering abuse Mm -hmm. and that she wanted to get out of it. And maybe she didn't tell anybody because she was embarrassed or she didn't want them to think badly of him. And she wanted, you know, all the reasons why people keep that in. Mm-hmm. But there's evidence that something was going on there. And I feel like his reaction being like, "Uh, you better have an excuse and you have no idea. Like, what the fuck does that mean? Yeah, it's very aggressive. Yeah, and she's got bruises all over her body. I think she wanted to move home. I think she was maybe considering calling up wedding, off or that something. engagement. Sure. Yeah, and maybe she said something to him or maybe he... Found out that she'd said something to her parents about moving back. I don't know. And they got in a fight. And I don't think it was premeditated. But I don't think he went to the gym. No. Yeah. And even if he did, him coming back. If he'd come back from the gym and called 911 immediately, you know, then there'd be like, okay, well, there's not enough time to have this big, like, whatever, probably. But it was over an hour or about an hour from the time he says he got back to the time he actually called 911. That's plenty of time for him to be up there for the altercation to occur or whatever it is. Or for him to clean everything up and stage it. hmm You know? I don't know. It just, there's so many things that lean toward, not even lean toward, I'm sorry, it's not a suicide. I, don't, I just don't see any way that it was. It did not happen. There, there's no way. It's absolutely not the case. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I just cannot believe her poor this. parents. I know. Yeah. It's insane. And the yeah, and the fact that they big fat made up that other neuropathologist reviewing the thing, and she's like, Mm-mm-mm. don't put my name on that. I don't have a receipt for that. I don't have a report for that. I don't have a file on that. There's no way. Mm-mm. There's no way. This case sucks. Yeah. It's fucking bullshit. Mm-hmm. But thanks to Madison for, you know, researching it. Yes. Very, very grateful <laughs> for that. And thank you for listening. Uh, the only reason why I said it sucks is because Sam sucks. And the police sucks. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. It's mm-hmm. ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so very much for listening. And we will catch you on the next episode.